from the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Monique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, June 30th. Today, David Bank has another conversation in our series from the recent Connecting Capital to Communities gathering. He'll chat with Samaruddi Singh, Chief Culture Officer of Farmart, which is connecting smallholder farmers in India with global markets. I mean, it took five years maybe to get this insight that has like a 100x potential for the sector. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in impact investing. The fallout from the collapse of Bitwise Industries continues. The Fresno, California Tech Training Program, Business Incubator, and Coworking Space abruptly shut down early this month, just three months after raising $80 million from investors, including Kpor Capital. The company and its leaders now face several lawsuits and a reported federal investigation. Impact Alpha explored the weaknesses exposed by the, quote, due diligence doozy. One obvious lesson, don't let impact hype blind you to financial due diligence. A global summit that wrapped up on Friday in Paris produced a flurry of developments to overhaul decades-old development finance institutions and norms. The World Bank agreed to pause debt repayments for nations hit by natural disasters, and a $2.7 billion package was announced to help Senegal shift to renewable energy. But the biggest achievement of the summit for a new global financing pact may have been a zeitgeist shift in efforts to make global finance more fair and responsive to low- and middle-income countries. A new jobs bond could bring manufacturing jobs to Cincinnati. A flood of federal funding is sparking a U.S. manufacturing revival. The $100 million bond issuance, planned by the Port of Greater Cincinnati Development Authority, will help it acquire and remediate industrial property to attract advanced manufacturing and private investment to the city. Institutional investors are shrugging off the ESG backlash and moving forward on impact investing. Pension funds and insurance companies have boosted their impact funding at a compound annual rate of 32%, and now make up more than a quarter of the capital raised by impact fund managers surveyed by the Global Impact Investing Network. The transition to impact investment suggests a growing appetite for more active approaches to move the needle on issues that matter to pensioners or insurance clients, says the gin. And now it's time for David's conversation with Samaruddi Singh of Farmart from the Salzburg Global Seminar, Connecting Capital to Communities, sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Let's listen in. Tell us just what Farmart is. Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, Farmart is a food distribution platform. We link farmers across India. India has 140 million farmers. We link these farmers to the, to the market. The market is domestic. The market is global. And we link them in a way where they're financially rewarded, not at the cost of the market paying more for um, the product. So just let's set a context here. When we talk about smallholder farmers in India, uh, they are growing what and how and uh, what, what is the business like for them? So, I mean, um, so 150 farmers in India, million, they're all very different. Um, they all grow different things. Um, it's an agrarian economy, means that other than the 140 million farmers, 70% of the population is somehow involved in agriculture. Um, in the north of India, it's mainly staples, um, paddy, wheat, soybean, maize. There's also um, a big um, chain of um, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables. In the south of India, you find all of that, but then you also find things like coffee and tea. So it's pretty diverse. I mean, I think India um, um, grows most of its own food. We rely less on you know, outside food. And then we also um, feed the world. Yeah. 
And so what are the challenges they're facing? What are the problems that you're solving? Yeah, um, so I think the biggest challenge is um, really actually access to markets. Uh, and by access, I mean also physical access. A lot of these farmers are um, in the interiors of the country. They are highly marginalized. Land holdings are getting smaller, which is making them further away from you know the marketplaces. And for them to actually sell their produce, they have to physically go to the marketplaces, which is very high spend for them in terms of logistics and transportation. Once they get to the marketplace, there's no guarantee that their produce is going to get sold. Um, you know, they, it depends on the day, it depends on the price for the day, depends on how many other farmers showed up, it depends on how many buyers there are. So what we essentially do is bring the market to the farmer. So instead of the farmer traveling 50, 60, 80 kilometers away, he just needs to go maybe two kilometers away and sell it to his local um, mom and pop shop. So you're a technology uh, solution in a, a sector that has not had much technology. Uh, and so what are you bringing to the, to the solution? So our technology, um, so we're not forcing technology on the farmers at all or on even the agri communities. We do have an app that um, helps the mom and pop shops digitize their business, but we're a tech company in how we operate. So our, the spine of our own business, our entire value chain from the farm gate or the farmer to the buyer is all done at the back end in a way that's very high tech and has a low reliance on people. And we have no fixed assets, like we have no warehouses. Um, so the analogy that I like to normally use is Airbnb. So Airbnb is a large um, hotel company in the world, right? It's like the Ritz or the Marriott but they don't have any um, hotels, they don't have any real estate. Their distribution network is, you know, my extra room or your extra house. And they've been able to build an entire industry like that, right? So similarly for us, our technology is what enables us to be very asset light. It enables us to be very fast in terms of the transaction. Um, but it's not something that like putting on a farmer to use. We're not digitizing the farmer, we're just digitizing the entire value chain the process. Okay, you mentioned the mom and pop shops, mm -hmm. and uh, I think you work with them to yeah. work with the farmers. So yeah. tell us about how the model works. So, um, so these mom and pop shops are essentially um, uh, mom and pop shops selling inputs to farmers. So they sell seeds, fertilizers, pesticides, and there are about two million of them. And so imagine, so two million of these input shops are connected or are selling to all one forty million farmers. So we internally like refer to them as a Suez Canal of the value chain, right? Now, the interesting part is that not only are they like very close to the farmers in proximity, but they're literally the, the closest ally that the farmer has. Any issue on his field, like if there's an insect infestation, they'll call him. Um, if they want to understand a new kind of crop or a new kind of seed, they'll call him, right? If they want to, um, um, or even when they buy their inputs, they often actually don't even pay the guy immediately, right? They'll pay him after six months at the, um, at the time of harvest. So in fact, this person also becomes like their financial partner. So it's just this relationship that is so close that we felt that if we want to actually service the farmers and give them market access, we cannot like go and force ourselves on the farmer and make the farmer trust us. There's already this underutilized um, you know, resource. Someone today was talking about community assets, right? So these are the community assets. So we leverage them. We tell them, you know, hey, you already sell inputs to farmers. You understand the way business is done. You understand crop quality. You also have this like insider knowledge about 
um, you know, what farmer is struggling to sell, what farmer has a warehouse, what farmer is growing this really interesting variant of a crop. You know all these things. They come, you have tea, you kind of discuss. So we want to like capitalize or leverage our information. Um, but so we will tell you what the market wants. We will tell you what the buyers want. You help us by just telling us what farmers or like just bringing the farmers to the table who will sell. Right. So these guys are, um, it's almost like how pharmacists work, right? Your neighborhood pharmacy. Um, you don't go to the hospital for like a headache. You go to them and, you know, they might advise you. So it's a very interesting relationship. Um, the yeah. best part is that the farmers trust them a lot. Um, and they also, uh, farmers are their biggest customers, right? They also will not fleece the farmer. They will also not play games with the farmer, like how maybe a traditional um, you know, broker might, right, or a trader might. So it's a very beautiful relationship, in fact, and we don't even get in between of the relationship. We don't want them, we don't want to know, um, you know, how they're contacting their farmers or which farmers, but we tell them that we're going to help you connect your farmers to the market. So you learned this lesson, I understand, the hard way. Um, uh, you yeah. were five years into the business and, yeah. and this new business is only two years old. So tell us yeah, about so the it's not. Uh, this is not an insight that, um, you know, going in, it's an insight that almost like you start, it's an aha moment kind of a thing. So when the two co-founders, when they started the business, they spent five years really focusing on the farmer. How do we give them loans? How do we give them access to this, access to that? And often it was kind of like the farmers would be like, you're giving me all of this, but like, what's the catch? Like, what do you want? Like, even though it was like really financially sensible things for them, right? Products for them because they don't trust someone. And while, you know, um, they were working with um, farmers and input, uh, uh, came across input shops and realized that these guys are already there. Like they are, they are able to convince the farmer um, to do anything in, in the right, for the right reasons. So let's build something for them and see what happens, right? Let's give them a tool to make their businesses better. And then we'll see like, you know, through them, we get indirect access to farmers. And if our hypothesis is correct that their relationship is strong, then we can start with market access. But then we can also do what we were doing, things like um, insurance or things like financing, but through them. Like, you know, so it was one of those, it was maybe like an aha moment. And it's not some, it may be um, like those five years were, you know, uh, not for nothing, right? I mean, it took five years maybe to get this insight that has like a hundred X potential. Um, for the for the sector. So you're raising incomes for farmers by helping them get their products to market. You're also raising incomes, I imagine, for these mom and pop shop owners by helping them push more yeah. products and inventory through their through their stores. What, yeah. what is the impact? Yeah. So um, just starting with the input shops, um, the impact is very direct in terms of income. Uh, we pretty much double their income um, uh, on every kind of transaction they're making. $100, um, $150. So effectively, even if they do like four trucks with us a month, that's like four, $500, which is already how much they were making, maybe even less, right, in their input stores. And this is by them doing nothing. They don't have to lift a finger, really. They just need to get us access to their farmers, right? So for them, it's very real impact. For the farmers, so we'll never say that because of us, the farmer gets paid more. I think um, the market is... Um, it's, it's, it's the market, right? There's a price for the day and it's, it kind of works like um, you cannot just pay the farmer more than the price for the day. But the reason farmers actually um, do not get paid fairly or um, 
to not get good prices for their uh, commodities because of all of the stuff that they have to do to even sell. They have to travel, or spend money on that. Um, they have to go and they'll be, they'll have to like maybe negotiate with a lot of traders. Um, they, there is no kind of real measurement of quality. So, you know, someone says the quality is 10, someone says the quality is 9. Whoever is the loudest voice in the room maybe gets the thing right. So we don't say that farmers will get paid more, but we always say that the farmers will effectively see like a 10% increase in their, you know, take home from that transaction because they're saving time, they're saving money and they're getting a fair price for their commodity. Farmers also don't want more. Like if something is 100 bucks, they're not saying I want 120. They want that 100, right? But what happens now is that they probably get 80. And 80 is basically all the money that's been lost in the whole transaction uh, and negotiation of the process. Now, somebody is getting cut out because there used to be a broker who would buy it and sell and mm -hmm. buy it at one price, sell it at another price. Um, who are you disrupting? So probably some of the, um, so, we, so we don't believe that middlemen are bad. Middlemen who add value need to be there. Um, so in our situation, the input shop isn't going anywhere. Like he's always going to be the one selling inputs. Farmer, of course, is not going anywhere. What we do is we put the input shop from pre, um, I guess, harvest to now, the post-harvest um, uh, plug, right, in the supply chain. So now he's acting as that aggregator. What would happen otherwise is that there'd be multiple brokers that would all be like, um, like a certain distance from each other, right? Like a farmer, if he doesn't want to travel all the way to the marketplace, will have to maybe go somewhere close by, but sell to a broker for much less, right? So uh, we don't cut out um, like the input shop, the farmers, the manufacturer, the person who drives the trucks, like the transporter isn't going anywhere. So we just make sure that the people that are actually adding value are very um, substantially like financially rewarded. They are incentivized and rewarded in a way where they're able to even um, utilize their uh, role or value better. Um, now, do we need 10 maybe middlemen brokers who are just passing the commodity? Maybe not, right? And it's not, a, and the other thing is that when, when a commodity passes hands so many times, it's not just like the price goes up, but there's a lot of wastage of food. Um, it goes to a person, he stores it somewhere. Then in that storage place, you maybe lose 10%. Then it goes back into a truck, maybe 5% is lost, and it goes back into a storage. So it, when it moves multiple hands, it also moves like, uh, there's also like loss of um, um, commodity. And, uh, and of course, the prices keep going up. And of course, there's a food security aspect to that as well. Yeah, a big, big re aspect. Reducing wastage. So yeah. how does Farmark get paid? How does your business work? So um, we don't take a fee. Um, like we're not trying to be a middleman that will take a fixed fee. We buy and we sell and whatever is remaining, the better we are in terms of uh, uh, our own operations, the more efficient we are, the more you know money we might be able to make. But we are not a middleman in the sense that we take a, a cut, uh, like a fixed fee kind of a model. Um, and recently we've actually, we've not spoken much about this, but we've also started working with manufacturers uh, and, uh, and uh, processors of food commodities where if we sell paddy to a rice mill, when he makes the rice, we also buy that rice and we further link it. So the way uh, we actually make our money is we sell all that commodities to large food businesses, right? Um, around the world, like in Africa in uh, um, GCC and of course um, in India. 
and these large food food businesses buy from us because we're assuring them the quality that they want we're assuring them the price that they want and we do it a lot faster than anyone so the scaling uh, p- potential i imagine is huge you have uh, data and, and access uh, potentially to um, many farmers, but also many, many food, and then on the other side to the buyers and the processors, and uh, yeah. you're 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 adding a sort of data and technology layer into a, what had been a pretty uh, disaggregated marketplace. Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of our work or technology that we've built are actually data products. Um, it's just a lot of data captured across the supply chain from the farmer to the consumer and everyone in between. So Samaridi Singh, you have the Airbnb of, uh, of, yeah. of, of farms and food in India. Yeah. Uh, we'll be watching Farmart with interest. Thanks for joining awesome. us. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, David. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Samaridi, David, and our producer, Isaac Silk. Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, our free weekly newsletter directly at impactalpha.com. Or become a subscriber to get full access to our award-winning daily coverage in impact investing and sustainable finance go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.